following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Uh, we're going through spiritual gifts. We're going through the teaching of spiritual gifts. We haven't necessarily gotten into the definition or defining of specific spiritual gifts just yet. We're talking about the purposes of them, uh, how you can implement your spiritual gift. Why does God even give spiritual gifts? And so some of you have run into this situation from time to time. Every year you'll get out your decorations at home. Um, You'll get your Christmas tree. You'll get your Christmas lights. You'll put them all up. You decorate your home. Sometimes you'll get ready. I used to do this, and sometimes the stress level was just uh, beyond imaginable. But we get everything in place, and inevitably, some of you know or already know where I'm going with this. Uh, you'll get everything ready. You'll get everything decorated. You'll get it all set just the way you want to, and then you won't be able to find the plug. And you'll plug it in, and you'll say, "Uh-oh." I got a set of lights that's not working right. I've got one bulb somewhere. I got a dark spot on my tree. I've got it all fluffed up. I've got all the ornaments in place. I've got it all ready, but there seems to be something missing. The the lights themselves, uh, when the switch is off and the power is off, uh, they're not quite as noticeable with the backdrop of the tree, at least not to me anyway. I'm, I'm almost completely colorblind. You may be able to see them, but they're not quite as noticeable to me. But definitely when you turn the lights on, especially on a dark night or a dark living room, uh, they become more and more obvious. And these ones that don't work, um, they become very, very obvious. So i got one of two options here. Either I can find the culprit that has caused the section of lights and some of these lights used to when one went out they all went out you just had to scrap the whole set or you had to find the one that was missing so when you do find the one that was missing you get him back in the place where he's supposed to be and he does what he's supposed to be doing and everything works according to plan But without that one light doing his job, the rest of the tree, the rest of the lights don't seem to be functioning the way that they should. We can turn the power off and on as long as the power supply is there. The lights are going to do what they want to. But there's also something here that you may not be aware of. There may be something here that you don't know about. It's something that just kind of lies concealed along the way. Inside of this plug... There's a little concealed compartment. And I didn't know this until I had thrown away several sets of lights. (laughs) And so inside this little compartment is something that you never see. You see the light bulbs. You see the product of the light bulbs. But you never see what these fuses do. You never know what their function is until one of them blows out. And you got to either change this fuse because the circuit has been broken The way the electricity flows through the whole system has been broken. But these fuses are very, very important. I would say almost as important, if not more important, than these light bulbs that you see that you use for the decorations. Without these fuses in place, 
the light bulbs aren't going to be able to do what they need to do. But when everything is in place and the power is there, everything functions as it should. And so the same can be said of our spiritual gifts. Folks, it goes without saying that we live in a dark, dark world right now. And Jesus himself said that you are the light of the world. And as we talk about spiritual gifts, that's what I want you to think about. What do our spiritual gifts ultimately do? What is their purpose? And the title of this message is, Our Gifts for His Glory. Our gifts are given to us basically to glorify God in this world and let people know that there is a God that loves us, there is a God that has a plan for our lives, and there is a God who has a gift for me to use to make his body, the church, function as it should. So the past two weeks we looked at Ephesians, we looked at Romans, we looked at the letters of Paul. What do some of the other writers have to say about the purpose of spiritual gifts? Today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to look at what the Apostle Peter had to say in his letter. It was written during a very, very dark time of persecution. Paul was trying his best to encourage the first century church to remain connected and give glory to God no matter how severe the persecution became. And so as we're talking about a stronger body, as we're talking about incorporating our spiritual gifts and implementing our spiritual gifts, today we're going to talk about our gift for his glory, which is where Peter is going in his passage. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. God tells us in this passage, he says, But the end of all things is at hand. Brothers and sisters, if you think it's bad now, it's really going to be bad when the church is raptured out of here. We're closer now than we ever been. And when Peter wrote this, he thought that they were really, really close because of the persecution that they were having to persevere. But yet, here we are. The church is still alive. It's still active. God is still giving his spiritual gifts, and he still wants us to be a light during a dark, dark time. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful. Some of your translations say sober. That just means keep your mind on what you're doing. Be sensible about what you're doing. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Amen? <laughs> okay. I'm just checking to make sure you're with me on that. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as the ability which God supplies. You can't do it on your own. Spiritual gifts are something that you can't generate on your own. He says specifically here, God has to supply these. 
that in all things, bottom line right here, highlight this, underline it, underscore it, write a star by it, whatever you got to do to remember it, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that are found in your word. And Lord, we know that the end is at hand. We know it is drawing near. We know that at any moment now, Lord God, that trumpet can sound. You'll split the eastern skies and you'll return to rapture your church out of here. But Lord, while we're here, we can't just sit and wait. Waiting is active. Waiting is not passive. And I just pray, Lord God, that just like these lights on this tree, that we would stand out in this dark, dark time as we work to find, identify, and use our spiritual gifts to make the body, your church, stronger and stronger and stronger, more visible and bringing more honor and more glory to you in the day and age that we live in until you return. We just ask it all in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. You may be seated. And so I got to thinking about that earlier this week. You know, a lot of people say, well, I, I am a Christian. Well, you know, what are some ways that that can be identified? Are there some ways that people can see you in a crowd, that they can see you at school, that they can see you at work, and really identify you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ without you saying a word to them. The, the thing that we're going to end up with is, does my life, does what I do, does what I say, does what I think bring glory to God? And today in a dark world, there, there are some Christians who practically live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. They try to live their lives that way, and it just can't happen that way. As a believer, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the word Christian itself basically means little Christ. You should be Jesus to them in the things that you do and the things that you say to bring glory to God the Father. And I think here in the passage that Peter gives us, we can find four things Four ways that true believers can be identified in a dark world. Number one, a true believer in a dark world can be identified because they are focused on godly habits. They are focused on godly habits. What are the two habits that Peter mentions here? He says, be serious. Be focused. Be sensible about what you do. Be cool-headed. Be calm. Think about what it is that you are doing. Don't take the, the gift that God has given to you lightly, but be serious about it. But he also says to be watchful in your prayers. In our Wednesday night prayer meetings, we've gotten to where we focus on some very specific needs, not just anything in general. God bless our community. Well, everybody wants that, but how? How do we want God to bless our community? How do we want God to impact our community? Better yet, how do we want God to use us to bring him glory that impacts our community? 
Here's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, don't get caught in the chaos and confusion of this world. You stay fixed on finding and implementing your spiritual gifts. Be serious about it. And finding your place in the body of Christ. So you say, well, Brother Tracy, how, how can I be serious about it? Well, let me just ask you this. I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you have actually taken these spiritual gifts assessment tests that we've been handing out for about a month or so now? If you're serious about it, okay, if you're serious about it, you'll obtain a copy of that. And you'll begin prayerfully going through that and trying to identify your spiritual gift. I did it. This is the second time I did it. I scored a 10 on the gift of mercy. So if I seem rude to you, I'm working on that one. I'm praying about that one. That was the one I scored lowest on. But I found out what my strengths are. I found out the ones that I've scored the highest on, and that's what I want to stay focused on. That's what I want to be serious about is finding that gift, finding where I'm weak, finding where I'm strong, and staying focused on those two things. Serious and watchful. You, you, you maintain a cool head. You maintain a balanced mind. You set your mind on things above. The Apostle Paul wrote it like this in his epistle, his letter to Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 15. He says, we are to walk circumspectfully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are Evil. If you're writing that down, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, that is closely related to what Peter is saying here in his letter. And so we live in a very, very confusing time. We live in a time where people don't want to know right from wrong. It's not necessarily that they don't know right from wrong. The book of Judges back in the Old Testament said there rose up a time when men didn't know evil from good and good from evil. And they did things that were evil in the sight of the Lord. Do we see that these days? Yes, we do. Absolutely. Some people just really don't care what they do. They have no remorse for their actions. They have no remorse for their sinful ways. They think that they can live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church. That's what's sad about it is a lot of Christians are trying to live both ways. They're saying, look, I can be one person Monday through Friday. I can do what I want to Friday night and Saturday night, but Sunday morning I'm going to be in church. That, that, that should take care of it, right? That's not being serious about your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to be serious and watchful about spiritual things, it's got to be a daily habit that takes place. Walking with the Lord occurs Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then on Sunday, you come and you celebrate everything that you have learned and practiced throughout the week. This is the Lord's Day. This is a day that we have set aside. But every day belongs to the Lord. And every day we should be serious and watchful about what we're doing and the habits that we allow to come into our lives. So a lot of people, they they live like the devil through the week and they pretend to be a saint. On Sunday morning, they're not focused on drawing closer to God. They're not focused on discovering their spiritual gift. And they're not putting it to use for God's glory. And so if you've obtained one of the chronological Bibles that we're going through in a year, uh, just a few days ago, you've been going through the book of Leviticus. 
And in Leviticus chapter 18, verses 3 through 4, you don't necessarily have to turn there if you don't have time, if you don't uh, have time to find it. But write down Leviticus chapter 18, verses 3 through 4. I'm going to start off reading in verse 1 of Leviticus 18, and here's what it says. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. What had happened was, is the people of Israel were saying, you know what? I think we can hold on to some of the things that we practice in the land of Egypt. We have been delivered out of darkness, out of the land of Egypt. We've been delivered out of bondage. And we've been given this new freedom. But they're saying, you know what? I think there are some things in Egypt I can still benefit from. God said, no, that's not the case. I set you free from all that garbage, and I don't want you going back. And what the children of Israel were doing, they were trying to walk in a new life with the Lord Jesus Christ. They had been delivered from sin and slavery in Egypt, but a lot of them still had one foot back in Egypt trying to live their life the way that they used to. God says, I don't want you to do that. I want to give you an entirely new way of living. He says, the things that you did in Egypt, you shall not do anymore. According to the doings of the land of Canaan, he said, the the land that I'm leading you to, it's a sinful land as well. We're going to purge it out. We're going to clear. I want to set you apart as a people who are serious and mindful and watchful about the things that I want you to do. I'm going to give you gifts and ways and talents of doing things a totally different way from anybody else around you. He said, you shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does... He shall live by them. In other words, God said, get out of Egypt completely. You're not going back there anymore. I set you free from those ways. We're going to a new land. We're going to purge out this land. We're going to establish this land as a land of our own. I'm going to give you a whole new set of ordinances, the Ten Ten Commandments to live by. And he said, those are the things that I want you to stay Focused on. And here today in this dark world, there are some people that think that they can live with a little bit of darkness and a little bit of light. Paul said it like this. He said, darkness and fellowship don't mingle together. John said it like this. He says, the light has no fellowship at all with the darkness. Either you're one or the other. There's no middle ground. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're a city that's set on a hill. A candle is not lit and hid under a bushel, but it's set up high on the wall where everybody can see it. Stay focused on godly habits. Stay focused on finding your spiritual gifts. And your spiritual gifts is just one of many ways God separates Christians from the rest of the world. You see, only a Christian can be given a spiritual gift. A lost person can't have a spiritual gift. Stay focused on godly habits. 
Stay focused on pursuing what God wants you to do. Stay focused on uncovering and putting to use your spiritual gift so that God will receive the glory for it. The next thing that I think that Peter says in this passage is found in verses 8 through 9. It's another way that true believers can be identified in a dark, dark world. And that is by the love that we have for others. The love that we have for others. I find it very, very interesting that in the four different places where spiritual gifts are mentioned. And here in Peter, he mentions three specific spiritual gifts. He mentions the gift of hospitality, the gift of ministering. And the gift of speaking or or the gift of prophecy, if you want to call it that. But everywhere you see spiritual gifts mentioned, the emphasis made on love. If you don't have love, those spiritual gifts are worthless. Peter and Paul mention spiritual gifts. Everywhere they mention spiritual gifts, the topic of love surfaces. Could it be that both writers are reflecting on how Jesus said that true followers of his will be identified? Jesus said there's a lot of ways that you're going to know a follower of mine. There are going to be a lot of different ways that people can look at you and see that you're a follower of mine. He said, but there's one earmark that stands out above them all. He says, people will know that you are my followers by the love that you have for each other. And here, I think Peter raises it up a notch. He says, above all things, have a fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. And be hospitable to one another without grumbling. A true believer in a dark world can be easily spotted by the love they have for Jesus and for the love that they have for one another. Specifically, other believers, but generally for those yet to become believers. Because let me tell you something. If you don't love somebody who is outside of the family of God, you're not going to be driven to share the gospel with them. If you're not concerned about their eternal destination, then your love for this lost and dying world has grown cold. If you're not burdened, if you're not broken over the sins of this community, you're not showing love on a lost and dying world. A true believer in a very dark world can be easily spotted by the love that they have for their Lord and their Savior and by other people. Look, why would somebody want to come into a church where there's grumbling, fighting, and bickering going on. Man, I can get that back at home. <laughs> I see that in my own house. Why do I need to go to church and see all that? People want to be a part of something where they are welcome, where they sense that there's a family atmosphere. This young lady that was baptized this morning, when I, when I counseled with her, when I talked with her, she said, man, that is one of the things that keeps me coming to my Sunday school class. Not only do they love each other, but from the moment I walked in the door of that Sunday school class, they have loved on me, they have helped me, and they have encouraged me. And I think that's the kind of fervent love that Peter is talking about here. When someone walks into that door, 
What are your first thoughts? Are you looking at their clothes? Are you trying to see what their annual income is? Are you looking out there to see what kind of car they drive? Man, how'd they make it here in that old Chevrolet? Where's Verdelette? (laughs) This is a family here. This is a group of people that should care about each other. They should look after each other. They should call and check on each other. We're not here for just a casual visit on Sunday. I hope this is not the only time that you see. Look around in this audience today. Look around at all of these people. Look around at all these smiling faces. Man, I heard the chatter in the fellowship before church started. That's what church is all about. And your love for each other stems out of your love for the Lord. And when Peter talks about this manifold grace, that manifold grace starts vertically between you and the Lord. Because if you can't establish your love for the Lord first, there's no way you can establish your love horizontally towards other people. A manifold is what? A manifold is something that distributes an item, whether it's electricity, whether it's a liquid. You you have one main source that comes in, and that manifold distributes it to several different places that need it. And so when Peter talks about this fervent love and this manifold grace of God, he says it's got to come straight from God. And then God is glorified whenever you take that mercy and that love and that grace and you share it with those around you. And I think that's the connection he's making between the love that you have for each other and your ability to serve them with humility, without grumbling, and with your spiritual gift as well. The third earmark, the third way that I think that believers can be identified in a dark world is by ministering through our spiritual gifts. I've already covered a lot of this. But he says, as each one has received a gift. And that's why I say that only believers will have the spiritual gifts. Paul says that the the worldly man does not know the things of God because they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But Peter here is saying that as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There are three specific spiritual gifts listed here in this passage. Number one is hospitality, the ability to accommodate guests. Not everyone has this gift. The ability to accommodate guests, they're friendly to strangers, That's the gift of hospitality. Are you a person that just can open up and share anything that you have to anyone you meet? Or does it take you a while to build trust in that person? Do you have to know them well to be able to trust them and share with them what God has blessed you with? Or are you just a person that you've got the gift of mercy, you can look in their lives, you can say they need something and you're already looking for a way to meet that need? That's what the gift of hospitality is all about. 
He also mentions the gift of prophecy. This is a gift of speaking publicly the truths of God. Whether it's a Sunday school teacher, whether it's a preacher, whether it's an evangelist. It's someone who is gifted in the ability to uh, vocalize God's word, explain God's word, and lay it out in a way that everybody will understand. And and as I look around this audience, and me as the person doing that right now, I see people who are on different levels. Not necessarily different levels of education, but you're all at different places in your walk with the Lord. Some of you have been Christians for longer than I've been alive. Some of you have been Christians for only a few weeks now. We see two different levels. I've got to be able to take God's word and put it out in a way to where the entire flock is fed. Not just one person here and there. Not just meeting the needs of one person. But I'm gauging the entire congregation, the whole body, and I said, what does God want me to say to this group that's going to benefit the entire body today? That's what the gift of prophecy is all about. And next we see he mentions the word ministry, which God supplies. It's not anything that you can generate on your own. So the words gift and ministry, those those are two very, very interesting words in the original language. The word gift in the Greek language is the word charisma for potential. This gift, this potential, it's there for you to take. It's there for you to find. It's there for you to implement in your life and use. It's there for you to tap into to bring God glory through ministering to other people. The word minister itself I I find to be the most interesting word. The word deacon in the original Greek language, it's an active masculine verb. It's where we get our word, English word deacon from. It means to serve, to render, to take care of, and to wait upon. This is why deacons in our church are known as the servants of the church. Jesus was the model servant because he strapped on an apron, took a towel and a wash basin, and he modeled that to his first apostles. The apostles became so overloaded with benevolent leads later on after the church was birthed, they said, we need someone to help us. We need someone who will wait on tables who will take care of the benevolence needs, who will take care of the widows and the orphans so that we can stay focused on prayer and the study of God's word. And after that, the first deacons were installed to take care of that. The deacons were table waiters, so to speak. The term here is used for anyone who has been gifted with a unique ability to wait upon others. He says ministering, it is an act or a function that someone is displaying. And I see many of you with the gift of ministering. Some of you are automatic with it. Some of you, that's what you thrive on. Some of you, that is what you are gifted in. I I can't do that. Every time a need arises, because that would take me away from my study of God's word. That would take me away from my ability to set aside a specific time of praying for you, praying over these messages, praying over the direction. So if I'm ministering to every need that surfaces throughout the week, guess what? I'm going to be spread too thin to apply myself to what God has called me to, to do. 
Therefore, we have installed deacons to serve our church. We are installing two more deacons later on in March. And if I come up with something that I don't have time for, I can't take care of, I'm doing something else, I call one of them up and say, hey, we got a need. Let's find out what we can do and meet this need. Or we'll get together and we'll say, how can we address this problem? They're, they're, they are there to support me in any way possible. They're praying for me. I'm praying for them. And then they are checking on you as well. We have care groups, specific names under their care group, and they are waiting upon you. They are the servants of the church. But here Peter said, as each one has received a gift, you minister to it. You wait upon one another. You use it as much as possible to those around you to bring God glory. And as we minister through our spiritual gifts, as we go through the act of using and implementing our spiritual gifts, you'll see others being blessed by it, and you'll see God getting all the glory for it. And number four, it's just a summary of everything that I mentioned. One other way that we can be identified in a dark world is by glorifying our God. Verse 11, he says, So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Basically, the chief end of all mankind, whatever spiritual gift that God is giving you, whatever spiritual gift that we're talking about, the chief end of all of mankind is to glorify God. God created us for his glory. God gave us the act of worship so we can glorify him. God gave us the act of ministering so we can glorify him. God gave us the ability to love one another so that he will receive the glory through it. The whole aspect of God giving believers spiritual gifts to begin with is for him to receive glory. In Matthew 5, 16, the Sermon on the Mount, that's what Jesus spoke about. He said, we're living in a dark world. He said, you know what? He said, I could save you. I could forgive you of your sins, and I could take you out of this world right away so that you could be with me. He said, but instead, I'm going to save you. I'm going to forgive you of your sins so you can stay in this world and you can be the light of the world. Jesus himself proclaimed himself to be the light of the world. The gospel of John opens up by saying, In him was life, and that life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five sixteen, Jesus said, Let your light so shine in all the world so that men can see it, and so that God will receive the glory. He said, let your light shine. Let your works be seen before me. And not to brag about them. Not because you have to work for your salvation. But he said, let, God, let them see God working in you through your spiritual gift. So that you can glorify God. And so when people ask you why you do the things you do. You can say, because I love God. He loves you, and I love you as well. 
and I want to help you by blessing you with the spiritual gift. I, I want to I want to be that manifold of grace that pours out into your life and it helps you through whatever it is you're going through. The whole purpose of God saving a lost soul is for him to receive the glory. And the whole purpose of God giving us spiritual gifts is so that his bride, the body of Christ, the church, will ultimately be bringing glory to him in everything that we do. So here's a question that I want to leave you with today. Does your life bring glory to God? Does your life glorify God in any way, shape, or form? If you were to stand before God right now, just just picture this in your mind. If for some reason, whatever the reason may be, if I were to be standing before God right now, and we were to ask you this question, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What would your response be? Would it be because of something that you have done? What You know, I, I've been a good person all my life, Brother Tracy. That's why God should let me come into heaven. Let me tell you something. Hell is full of good people. Right now, hell is full of good people. Good people Good people go to hell all the time. I, I see all kind of organizations that do good things, but they're not there to bring glory to God. I see people who donate all kind of money to good organizations, to good um, good purposes. But that doesn't mean that they're saved. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. I don't go to heaven because of what I've done. I go to heaven because of what he's done on the cross. And that alone is what brings glory to God. If you were to stand before God right now, What would you say to him? If everything in your life was to be examined by the Lord Jesus Christ at this moment, would he say, I know you. You gave your life to me. You've been a follower of mine for all these years. Enter into the kingdom, good and faithful servant. Or would he say, depart from me because I never knew you. What would your response be? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Does your life bring glory to God? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Can you look back to a time in your life when you said, I made a commitment to be a follower of Jesus. I asked him to forgive me of my sins. And I know that it is only by his shed blood and his substitutionary death on the cross that my sins have been forgiven. 
Or are you here today and you say, I really don't know if I'm saved or not. And this invitation is for you. We want your life to bring glory to God. We, we want to help you enter into that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to help you know God in a way that you've never known him before. But you've got to be committed. You can't live with one foot in the world. It's either all or nothing. The Apostle John said it like this. He who has the Son, that is Jesus Christ, he who has the Son has life. But he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's no middle ground. Either you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you've been bought by his blood, you've been born again, or you haven't. And if you say, I don't know for sure, then more than likely you haven't been born again yet. It all starts by making this simple request. God, forgive me of my sins. I I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my life does not please you. And I know right now that if I died, I'd spend eternity in hell. There's no doubt about it. Or you're here today and you say, I I know that I've given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that heaven is my home. I know that God is my Father. And I know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And you're living in confidence of knowing where you'll spend eternity at. Right now it's time for a decision. If you don't know him, do you want to? He's not going to force his will upon you. He's not going to make you walk an aisle. He's not going to make you accept him as Lord and Savior. The Bible says to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He's waiting for you to make that first step. And here in just a moment, if you want to begin a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, as soon as the music starts, step out of that aisle and come see me. I'd love to tell you how to begin a walk with Jesus Christ. And I promise you this, nobody here is going to make fun of you. Nobody's going to be looking. And it's a decision that you will never, ever regret. Will it be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. But it'll be worth it. Because God wants to have a relationship with you. And when you look at that cross behind me, that's proof of it right there. The Bible says that God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now he offers you the free gift of salvation. That gift is yours to accept. He's not going to make you take it. If you're here today, you are a believer. Perhaps you wasn't able to raise your hand a while ago and say, you know, I I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Maybe the altars are open for you today. Maybe this is a time for you to come start praying to God and say, God, I want to start on that journey of finding my spiritual gift. 
You can pick up one of those assessments in the back and you can begin finding, exploring, defining, and using your spiritual gift right here in this church. Heavenly Father, I pray for any decision that needs to be made today that you would transform lives in a way that only you can. But God, most important, if there's any one person here that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would not walk out of these doors until they get that squared away. That their lives would be transformed by your shed blood and they would enter into a relationship with you to follow you all the days of their lives. Lord, if there are any believers here that don't know what their spiritual gift is, if their life is not bringing glory to you by the use of their spiritual gift, I pray that they would commit today, Lord, to finding out what it is that you want them to do and what you're calling them to do. We just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.